Well, we've all found ourselves in that place where we're just unsure of what to do next. Maybe, maybe like George, you're in between jobs and you've uh, had an end to one, one place of employment and you're, you're thinking about where to start and where to go and you're just, uh, just wondering what's next. Maybe you've, uh, you, you know, you've started a new relationship and you're, you're thinking already, you know, should, is this, is this the one, you know, is, am I going, going to say yes to, to this uh, guy or this girl? And you're just wondering what's next. Maybe it's just a different season in life and the house that uh, seemingly uh, a week ago was filled with, with little kids going off to kindergarten and Grade school and high school is suddenly a little more empty and you're just wondering, uh, looking across the dinner table thinking, well, what's next? Well, what are, what are we going to do next? We've all uh, been in one of those spots in life, or we will be, and, and, and we can understand how this group of Jesus' closest friends, these disciples who last week were on the side of a hill staring into the sky uh, until some angels came and told them, hey, get busy. He, he left you with these marching orders. He gave you this mission, and now it's time to start. And yet, when you consider where these guys have been in the last 40 days or so in their story, it's easy to understand how they might be thinking, well, what's next? What do we do now? Uh, just 40 days ago or so, these, these guys had uh, been walking into Jerusalem as Jesus was proclaimed king. You know, he was, he was worshipped and, and, and they, they had this parade with uh, palm leaves and shouts of Hosanna. And then within days, he was arrested and tried and convicted, executed on a cross, buried in the grave. And just three days later... The grave was empty. He started to appear, uh, first to this, this group of women who came and told Peter and his buddies, they, we saw Jesus, and they said, you've got to be kidding, and they, they went to the tomb and saw it empty, and, and then soon Jesus started to appear to them as well, and just showing up in, in rooms, and for 40 days, Jesus ate with them, and talked with them, and taught them, and then they were on that side of the hill again. And he was gone. He'd left them with instructions, but it's easy to understand how maybe they were thinking, well, what's next? You know, sometimes as, as followers of Jesus, as uh, team members in, in his church, we, we find ourselves maybe thinking, well, what's next? You know, for the last several months here at Wallula Christian Church, we've been involved in this remodeling project, and we've been talking about this Embrace campaign, and you'll hear us continue to talk about that. But, but truly, for the last couple of months, this project has probably taken far too much of our staff's attention. Our, our leadership has been maybe too focused on this one project, and, and perhaps we've, we've caught you all up in that, and, and now that the, the painting is mostly done, and the carpet is mostly laid, and the, 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 the room looks mostly finished, maybe we're left as a church thinking just a little bit, yeah, but what's next? Well, we can join with that group of 11 disciples and a larger crowd, really, we'll find out uh, this morning, standing on that hillside looking up into heaven and thinking, what's next? And we can know that when Jesus gave us marching orders, he also gave us some next steps that we can take 
take. And even when we can't see how that mission will play out completely, we can see that next step in front of us. And we can absolutely, as individuals and as members of his team, the church, we can take the right next steps together. I think as we continue in the story of, of the birth of the church in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, we'll learn four next steps that we can take together. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them to the first chapter of the book of Acts. We're going to look this morning at uh, verses 12 through 26 as we consider four next steps that we can take together as members of, of his team, the church, and we can take these next four steps together. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Acts, the first chapter, with verse 12, this is what God's word says. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. And said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who, had, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldema, the field of blood. For, for, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Bersabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. When they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart, show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. And they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. So I think this section of scripture teaches us four next steps that we can take together when we're not sure of what's coming next, of what to do next. And step number one is when you don't know what to do, when you're unsure of what to do next, you can obey. When we don't know what to do next, we can obey. Look how our, our section of scripture begins uh, here this morning in, in verses 12 and 13. And then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. I wish 
there was some, as, as I was studying this section of scripture this morning, and, and I thought, well, what's the first step that, that Jesus is asking us to take in this, this next step together? And, and I wish when I, I studied verse 12, I, I had some deep theological truth to unveil for you. I wish there was maybe some kind of hidden message. I would feel like I was doing a better job if I could unpack something a little bigger for you. And in fact, as I was, I was studying this, I kept coming back to this verse 12 and the very beginning of this message and on Friday I was in the office for a little while and I was thinking about this some more and and John our, our worship pastor and his buddy came into the office and we were talking a little bit and and John and his buddy were explaining to me uh, that they have uh, uh, these are their words a man crush I'm not sure what that is I didn't dive into it with them but a man crush on this preacher named Andy Stanley and Andy Stanley is just he's this strategic genius and sometimes I wish I could be as strategic as Stanley, or, or I wish I could be as spiritually deep as, as, as Tim Keller, or I wish I could be as creative as Kyle Eidelman, or as inspirational as Jeff Walling, but unfortunately for you guys, I'm just me, and you're stuck with me this morning. And so when I look at verse 12, I, I wish there was something more I could say, but it's so, so simple, huh? The first next step we can take when we're not sure what to take is to obey. You look back at the beginning of chapter 1, and, and before Jesus ascends into heaven, what does he ask his disciples to do? Verse 4 says, uh, On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And so you jump down to verse 12 where we, where, where we begin this morning, and what are the disciples doing? Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. They're obeying. Maybe they were unsure of what the big picture of those marching orders would be, of where the mission would take them exactly, but they could see that next step, and they obeyed. You know, obedience is, is sometimes a difficult thing for me, and I know that, that in my life, when, when, I've sort of, when I've been wrong, when I've made a poor choice, when I've sinned, when I've been caught with my hand in the cookie jar kind of caught, you, you know, I, I, I repeat words that, that probably 90% of, of people, when they're caught with their hand in the cookie jar kind of caught, when they say out loud, when somebody asks them, why did you do this? We say, I don't know. I don't know. But that's not really true, is it? I mean, most of the time when we say, I don't know, we really mean, I don't want to say. I don't want to tell you. I'm ashamed of why. I, I'm, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to say why I did this. Because most of the time, we sort of have an answer for a different choice. Most of the time, we're sort of in a spot where we probably knew better than to put our hand in the cookie jar. We, we knew a, a different, better choice to make. In fact, when you, you research just... Uh, world civilizations and no matter their place in history and no matter where they are geographically and no matter the religion or the the philosophy that they follow when you study these world civilizations almost all of them they sort of share some basic principles some basic truths that that these civilizations are built on stuff like we don't think it's okay for you just to go to your neighbor's house and steal his cow 
You know, you, you can't just take stuff that doesn't belong to you. We don't think it's okay that when you're mad at somebody, you go to his house and you wipe him out, you kill him. That's not okay. You know, you kind of boil down these world civilizations and they all share some of these basic truths that we can all agree on. And, and I guess my question becomes, well, how come we can agree on those? Look, I'm not that bright, but I think it's because we all share the same creator. We all share the same creator, and somewhere deep down we all share the same need to worship that creator. And we all have this sort of basic understanding of the right direction to pursue. And what's more, for many of us, we've heard and we've listened and we've, we've learned from people wiser and smarter than us over the years. And when we're caught with our hand in the cookie jar, for many of us, we just flat know better. We, we were standing on the side of the hill thinking, what do we do next? And, and we thought, well, we know Jesus told us to go to Jerusalem, but it might not be safe in Jerusalem. Maybe I ought to go back to fishing. Maybe I ought to go return home. Maybe I ought to head in the other direction. And sometimes we just choose to go in that other direction. We say, I don't know why. But for many of us, we have the opportunity, like the, the apostles here in verse 12, to simply obey. It, it's, not a, it's not a hard truth to understand. It's a hard one to practice sometimes. It's not a difficult step to learn from these verses. Sometimes it's tough to put into practice. But step number one is when you're not sure what to do, we can obey first. We can take that Simple next step. Well, step number two, when we're not sure what to do next, when we're not sure what, what's coming, what, what we ought to be about, we can pray. When we're not sure what to do next, we can pray. Verse 14 says, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They all joined together constantly in prayer. Prayer is a powerful thing. You know, sometimes, sometimes we get a little bit of a wrong idea about prayer, and we sort of approach prayer like uh, we're rubbing the, the genie jar, and we're going to receive three wishes with prayer. And, and I, I, I'm not sure prayer works like that, but prayer is a powerful thing. There's this goofy story that's told about this little boy. He's nine years old, and this little boy who's nine years old decides what he wants more than anything for his birthday is a, a new baby brother. And so he's talking to his dad one day, and he says, Dad, what, I'd really, what I really want is a new baby brother. And his dad, who uh, evidently this nine-year-old boy hasn't figured it out yet, knows that mom is pregnant and is going to have, in fact, a little baby boy. So this, this nine-year-old son is going to have his baby brother. And so dad says, well, you know what you ought to do? You ought to pray for a new baby brother. And in a few months, you know, maybe you'll have this new baby brother. And so this little boy decides that seems reasonable, and he, he sets about praying for a new baby brother every night before bed. And so faithfully, for a month, he prays for this new baby brother. Well, we know that sometimes we are educated in other places than we should be, and this little nine-year-old boy starts asking through the neighborhood, hey, you know, I'm praying for a new baby brother, and Dad says in a couple months I'll have a new baby brother if, if I pray. And, and he figures out or he hears through the grapevine in the neighborhood that this has never happened in the history of the world. 
You pray for a couple months and a new baby brother shows up. It doesn't happen. And he's convinced by the grapevine, by his buddies in the neighborhood, that this probably isn't going to work. And so he decides to stop. Well, a few months later, dad calls a nine-year-old son into mom and dad's room. And, and there, you know, he said, that I eyes for you and he walks into the room and there in mom's arms are not just one new baby brother but two new baby brothers because mom had twins the boy's eyes got really big and he was so excited and dad said son aren't you so glad that you prayed for a new baby brother and the little boy looked at his dad and he said yeah but aren't you glad I stopped when I did you know, sometimes that's what we think prayer, and that's how we think prayer works. And, and I'm not sure if that's true. Scripture promises that the prayer of a righteous person is effective. And so prayer really works, and prayer makes a difference, and, and prayer matters. And, and I'm not sure, I'm not smart enough to figure out that if you start praying now in a few months, you'll have twins. I'm not smart enough to figure that out, but I do know just from verses, uh, verse 14, that when we pray together, something unique happens in that group. If you have kids, you know, you've said to them before, if you have more than one kid, hey, why can't you guys just get along? Don't be mean to each other. And kids are no different than anybody else. Sometimes, you know, we get on each other's nerves and we drive each other crazy. Anytime you're a part of any team, that happens. But you know what's really hard to do? What's really hard to do is to stay angry at somebody that you are praying with. You know, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why that is or how that works. And I suppose it's possible, but it's hard to do. It's tough to stay angry and upset and to disagree over and over with people that we're praying with. And when you look through the beginning of the church in the book of Acts, you'll see the early church praying together over and over and over again. And you'll see the book of Acts talking about the early church working together over and over and over again and, and being in agreement and, and heading in the right direction over and over and over again. They prayed together in verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer. It wasn't a, a, a once-in-a-while sort of event. It was an all-the-time sort of event. In fact, when you walk your way through the book of Acts, you'll see the early church uh, praying a, a lot. Constantly is, is not too short in its description of how the early church prayed. Uh, when they prayed, big stuff happened. Like Pentecost, like the, the Holy Spirit indwelling believers. Like earthquakes and, and people turning their lives over to Jesus kind of big. When the early church prayed, earthquakes happened. And, and people were raised from the dead when the early church prayed. When the early church prayed, people were healed. Uh, the early church prayed for its leaders. And they prayed for uh, the manifestation of uh, the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit to work through the lives of believers. They prayed for sinners to repent. They prayed for missions to, to work and to take place. They, played, they prayed for physical safety. They prayed for healing. The church prayed in times of crisis. The church prayed when they were making decisions or establishing leaders. The church prayed when they messed up and they went the wrong direction and they ran away from God and they needed to repent. 
The church prayed. The church prayed when they said goodbye to each other. The whole church prayed together, and the leaders prayed together. And the, the, the leaders prayed on their own. We can, we can study and look in chapter 3 and chapter 10 and chapter 11 and see Peter praying. We can read in chapter 22 and find in other places and find Paul praying. We can find godly men who have yet to say yes to Jesus like Cornelius praying. We can find groups of women praying. We can read these actual prayers in, in chapter 1 and chapter 4 and other places in the book of Acts. When you think about the early church, one of the keys, one of the most important important things that the early church did was pray. In fact, it would be safe to say that the early church grew out of a prayer meeting. The early church prayed constantly together, and we see that in verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And so I, I think this is this description of the folks who prayed is important. Here were the leaders of the church who, by the way, included Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And I think this is unique that it, uh, the scripture gives us the description of this particular set of, of Jesus' immediate family. You, you have Mary, his mother, who maybe, who maybe in the Gospels was the first person to say, I'm on board with the mission that God is giving me here. You know, the angel shows up and says, you're going to have this baby. And Mary said, I want to be your servant. I want to do this. And so perhaps Mary is the first person to acknowledge that I'm on board with Jesus' marching orders. And so if Mary is the first person in the Gospels to say, I'm on board with Jesus' marching orders, then maybe the last people, the last people in the Gospels to do that, perhaps were his brothers. You know, it wasn't so long ago that his brothers were, were hearing Jesus teach in the synagogue and coming up to him and saying, Hey, Jesus, chill out. You're embarrassing us. Get out of here. People think you're nuts. At a, at a certain point in his ministry, his brothers were absolutely not on board. And so maybe the last people in the Gospels to sort of say, I'm on board and I want to follow through with Jesus' marching orders were his brothers. And so what this description of the leadership in the church tells us is, it doesn't matter if you've been a follower of Jesus for a really long time, or if you've been a follower of Jesus for just a short time, when you say yes to him, you have access to the creator of the universe, you have access to this powerful tool that we call prayer, you have this ability to begin a relationship with the creator of the universe. Because we say yes to Jesus, no matter where we are in the, our journey with him, we can take that next step that we're calling step number two, and when we don't know what to do, we can pray. When we don't know what to do, step number three, when we're not sure what to do, we can consult scripture. Look at verses 15 to 20. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. And he said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. 
So when you think about the, the state uh, of mind that the disciples were in this, at this time, that they're sort of curious what, what the next step is and what we ought to be doing. And, and certainly one of the most confusing things to the followers of Jesus had to be, how did one of our best friends, how did one of our best friends turn their back on, on Jesus? That's sort of what Peter is discussing here. He's saying, hey, Judas did this. He led people to, to find Jesus and arrest him. He turned him over for this payment of a little bit of silver. And, and you can sort of hear Peter saying, you know, how, what, pay attention here, guys, because he was one of us. He was just like us. He's trying to make sense of, of how this happened and, and, and why he would do this. And so when Peter is, is in this state of confusion and, and he lays out what happened to Judas and that he, he committed suicide and that everyone in Jerusalem knew about this, as Peter is in this state of, of sort of not understanding exactly, dis, disillusionment, not sure where to go and what to do, he turns to Scripture. Verse 20, For said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. So when he's not sure what to do, he turns to a place where he can find truth. I was on this website this week, and this website uh, has a different urban myths, urban legends, and you have to decide, you know, is this true or false? So we're going to play a quick game, okay? You just decide if it's true or false, all right? Here we go. A penny dropped from the top of the Empire State Building will embed itself in the pavement. That sounds cool, but it's false. That's not going to happen, evidently, according to this website. Uh, you can send a coconut through the mail without wrapping it. That's true. Welding while wearing contact lenses will cause the lenses to stick to your eyeballs. <laughs> they say it's false, but yeah. I mean, if your mom told you not to weld with contact lenses, I wouldn't do that. I don't know. <laughs> How about koalas are always drunk from ingesting the alcohol and eucalyptus leaves? <laughs> I really want that to be true, too, but it's not. I just think, look at those dumb little animals. It's not their fault, but that's false. Uh, some Oregon highway workers blew up a whale and showered the town with whale blubber. That's true. <laughs> Which is why we don't live in Oregon, so that's good. Bubble yum bubble gum is made with spider eggs. False. <laughs> well, don't worry because it's false. It's not really made with spider eggs. There's all kinds of stuff out there. I mean, it's sort of fun to think about whether these amazing things are true or false. And when we're in a spot in life, when we are unsure of where to go next, there is one absolute place where we can look and find real truth, absolute truth that we can count on, and that is God's word. And it's no, it's no surprise that as Peter is trying to work through with his, this group of believers, hey, why did this happen, and what do we do next, and what do we do with Judas and, and leaving, and they look to Scripture, and they try to discover the answers through Scripture. And then we read verse 21 as 
we uh, consider step number four, which is when you're not sure what to do, you can trust God. Verse 21 says, Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Isn't that cool that verse 21, after, after Peter and the disciples consult Scripture, after they take that next step to look at God's Word and see what it says, then verse 21 says, Therefore... In other words, they read Scripture, and then they did what it said. They followed through, and they obeyed again. And we'll see that as they, as they take those next steps, that they're going to trust God to lead them through those next steps. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been uh, with us the whole time, and the Lord, the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of the, these must become a witness with us in the resurrection. So Peter's saying, hey, we need a leader to help us be witnesses. And understand that what Peter isn't saying is, we have to hire somebody, we have to find somebody, we have to promote somebody to this place of leadership so they can be a witness for us. He's saying we need leadership to help us all be witnesses together. Jesus gave his church marching orders to share the difference that Jesus is making in our lives with the world around us. To be a witness for him. Those are our marching orders in a nutshell. And now Peter is saying we need help. We need leadership to help us do this. And so while everyone is going to contribute and everybody's going to be a part of the team, we're going to replace Judas in this leadership structure, and we just have to decide, with God's help, who is going to do that. So they proposed, in verse 23, a couple of guys. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two men have, uh, you have chosen. So they find folks that that fit the job description right they were with jesus this entire time they they were witnesses to the resurrection and now they boil it down to a couple and they say okay god help us choose remember we talked earlier about the early church they pray together over and over and and even right away this they're making this important decision they're praying again then they prayed, Lord, show, you know everyone's hearts. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. So they cast lots. This is sort of the closest thing we could get to this, I suppose, would be rolling dice. You know, it's like Peter said, okay, God, if it's even... We're going with Barsabbas, and if it's odd, we're going with Matthias. And, and so it came up odd, and they went with Matthias. And that was, that was how they made this decision. But they, uh, casting lots was a, was a common thing in the Old Testament to sort of discern God's will. And so while culturally, maybe we would say this is chance or luck, or we probably wouldn't do this, in the disciples' culture, they were trusting God in this decision-making. Now, it's also interesting, just for nothing, that this is the last time we read about this. That in the next chapter, we're going to have this day called Pentecost and the Holy Spirit, you know, tongues of fire. Zach's going to talk about that next week. And this amazing moment when the Holy Spirit moves into the lives of the followers of Jesus... And when the Holy Spirit indwells in the lives of, of, 
of his followers, then we don't have to rely on things like casting lots to discern God's will. We have access to his spirit. His spirit works in us and through us. And so we can trust God to, to act in our lives just like the disciples. We're trusting God to lead them to the right person to replace Judas in the, the leadership of the early church. This last week, our, our weekday preschool started here at Wallula, and it's sort of fun to see parents drop you know, kids off, and, and the kids go into class, and they're excited, and you see kids leave, and they're excited to be here, and, and I just imagine what it's like, and I imagine because, hey, I'm not going in there, I imagine what it's like to be in those preschool classes, right, with these little kids, and the little kid who, is, who just can't sit still to finish his color sheet. You know, we don't know what that kid is going to become in life. You know, he might be a president, you know, the president of the United States someday. Or that little girl who, who leaves the swing set and the slipper slide to go to the corner of the playground to, to play with the bugs she discovers. We don't know what life holds for that little girl. She might be the, the scientist or the doctor who discovers a cure for cancer someday. You know, these parents who are excited to, to drop their kids off for preschool, they don't know what life holds for these young kids. They can't see. They don't know, you know, if their kid is going to be a president or a policeman or, or a fireman or, or a, a teacher or a scientist. They don't know if they'll be a rock star or a professional athlete They don't know the big picture of these kids, but they've all decided, hey, our next step, what we can see right now, to prepare them for whatever comes in life, you know, we need to take this next step. They need to learn to count to 20. We're going to enroll them and start them in preschool because that's the next step we can see. Oh, we, I can't tell. You know, what God has in store for you, and what role he has for you to play, and, and the big picture of, of following through on his marching orders and being a witness for him. I'm not sure what eternity holds for you or for me, but I know that we can discern, we can see that next step in front of us. We can 